The movie is one of the most tedious things I have ever sat through in my entire life. Welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever. Assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before, I am your host, Adam Portress, and we are back somewhat late, but nevertheless, we are back. We will have an episode this week, and I am joined by Sir Matt Smith. Matt, what's up going on, man? Uh, not too much, man. Swamped with work. Uh, semester's in full swing again. Oh, actually doing proper work again. Good yeah, for it you. it sucks. What happened to my lounging? Oh, dude, I was like, I'm kind of going through that stuff right now. Like, the work has kind of actually gotten me to where they go, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, uh, they, they sent me home on, like, kind of a half day. They were uh-huh. just like, hey, uh, things aren't going so well. Half the uh, the place is going off for the, uh, you know, company trip and everything. I, I haven't been there long enough in order to get that sort of uh, recognition. So I didn't go to Mexico. <laughs> but um, You'll get there. Uh, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> if I don't screw it up by then, we'll, we'll, we're going to try. Uh, but they sent half the play, but also like, okay, yeah, well, you go home. So I went home, and then, you know, I had to come back half a day the next day, and then I was doing four hours of overtime the next day. So by the end of this entire week, I'll have done about 12 days in a row of work, so in one capacity or another. So I'm just like, I'm already over it. I got two more days left, and I'm already just like, forget it. <laughs> I know, man. That's where that, that song came from. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, good. forget it, dude. It's a good choice to start out it's, maybe every show. It's fun, <laughs> though. I like it. That's a, that's a fun-ass song, so... Uh, but no, it's been it's been good, and it was uh, uh, it was featured in the in one of the movies that we're going to be talking about today. But uh, n- neither one of our main reviews, <laughs> which would be yeah. hilarious if it was put into one of those flicks. Yeah, definitely not the one that I any of the ones that I saw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to be uh, we 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 were finally getting around. Uh, we got two new release reviews today. One's not not as a new release as much as one, but uh, it's taken me a while to see it. But uh, Matt, you were Matt, you were going to talk about it a couple weeks ago, but you were like uh no you need to see this first and i'm so glad i did so yeah, i have finally I, I, caught on I think, yeah i i think that uh the discussion of this movie will be more interesting than me just talking to people about yes it for like five to ten minutes absolutely so today we're going to be talking about the babadook that's going to be our first uh our first new uh episode in or new new review and everything and that's going to be um I, it's, it's still out in demand and everything right now uh, i think it's about mm-hmm. to hit uh probably blu-ray or something not too awful long yeah, and a few uh, theaters are just now getting it because it was a really slow rollout. Um, so there are still some small indie local theaters that are getting the Babadook or, or still have it. Yeah, so we'll definitely be uh, – we're going to talk about that and how uh, 
And uh, yeah, I'm so glad that we waited to talk about this because this is uh, it was uh, quite interesting. And then, of course, we're going to be jumping into uh, one of the last couple of kind of Oscar contender movies that have uh, really been released. The only one that we haven't really seen yet come out is um, I still want to see oh, A Most Violent Year. Yeah, that's still another one that I, I want to see, and like I, it didn't get like a boatload of nominations, it got but that's, snubbed at the Oscars. I yeah, think. I still want to see it. That's out. the only thing that I figured would kind of get like a little bit of thing, and we'll talk a little bit about kind of Oscar stuff in in just a moment. But we're going to yeah. be uh, reviewing American Sniper as well, so that's going to be like our uh, last kind of uh, Oscar baity sort of uh, movie we'll be talking about. Um, but yeah, so Oscar uh, nominations came out and everything, and um, well, Selma really got the shaft on uh, pretty much everything. <laughs> Yeah. And that was it, uh that was kind of harsh. I mean, that was a film that we had both uh really really enjoyed and um now I am most not, people I think. I think yeah, uh, exactly. are really upset about this. <laughs> yeah, now now granted and and here's the thing. And the and the sucky part is is like and I'm not one of these people because I'm not uh because I, I'm a, I'm a libertarian, so I just go, "Hey, we all get our own stuff and you know, you do whatever you do." And so a lot of people are like going, "Oh, exclusion, you know, it's like more more people of color should be w- included within this." And I'm like, I, "That doesn't even come close to mattering on my radar. It should be what is good." And know what? That movie was good well, and des- that, deserved to be. I think where that's coming from, right? Just to kind of set that up and frame it just a little bit is um the Oscars uh, are always a political calculation right? uh, for Hollywood to talk about itself. Um, but also um, with last year's awards, what the other thing that the Oscars really do, and, and it's always true, is the following year, uh, the new Oscars always reacts directly to the one that just took place. Right. Right. Uh, as a statement, um, as an ideological bent, etc., it always refers to the most recent one. And so, of course, last year, uh, 12 Years a Slave swept a lot of categories, mm-hmm. was nominated for a whole lot. And uh, I do kind of read this as a reaction to that uh, on the Academy's part because of the way I know that that apparatus works, right? Yeah. Uh, so it overcorrected for last year's uh, awards and nominations for one similarly themed um, film. And I feel like it kind of probably overcorrected, like much more than it needed to. The other thing you have to keep in mind is that the people who oversee and run the Academy uh, are by and large old, mm-hmm. white, and male. Yeah. This is right. True. Uh, I mean, pretty much everybody in a leader leadership position within the academy is old and white period end of discussion um and so it does play play into that as well into what gets uh kind of the final nods toward everything that always ends up playing so um the way the voting system loosely works is that like guilds nominate mm-hmm. uh based on their own voting and then the academy members uh then vote on the ones that end up actually being the final nominees. And the Academy members are of course not just the guild, like all of the guilds. It's, you know, a much more limited number of people actually vote for the awards. Um, and I think that skews the results a lot of the time. Um, I I think the biggest part, the biggest travesty of Selma not getting nominated is, uh, both for the director, uh, cause I think she made some really smart choices, uh, and directed the hell out of that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and uh well right the, who, the lead you you broke up a little bit there but the lead oh, yeah sorry man yeah no worries the, the lead Dave, david oyelowo right yeah um who uh played uh martin luther king and did a hell of a job yeah. um and i think those were the two biggest i will also say like i was really surprised that um selma didn't get a screenplay nod um only because uh the the studio doesn't own the rights to the speeches right, right? uh through some weird legal uh like copyright issue um those speeches are actually licensed to DreamWorks, who did not produce or have anything to do with Selma. Right. They wanted some uh, sort of competing thing that has, has yet to formulate. Right. Or even come close to formulating. Exactly. And um, so what's really sad about the screenwriting uh, not getting a nod is that all of those speeches you heard that were amazing Martin Luther King speeches um, – the screenwriter wrote those. Yeah, were not his words, and it's just like, <laughs> like, and yet they still had that power and the gravitas that something like that would in have. In the delivery, right? It's like, great. Like he had to have studied the speeches in order to get like their cadence. Yeah, the tone, their rises, their falls, their tones, and he did an excellent job. And I just think, I don't know, it's some of the best writing I've I've heard in any like dialogue. Period. Uh, that I've heard in any movie, those speeches uh, this past year. And, and so it's just kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think you and I, I mean, I don't think that it's, it's probably, I don't think it's number one for either of us for the year, but it's something that really it was was a clear misstep in, uh, you know, not getting nominated. And in, in, his, in at least several of the key categories, which was kind of kind of surprising, to be frank. But yeah, then again, just, a, just an upset I think. There's, in, there's in a, weird ways, but there were other ones too. Like, like how in the hell did Gyllenhaal not get nominated for actor? Insanely stupid. It, right? it, it is. I mean, there's some things in there that are just like, you know, why, why were some of these people picked and others were not? I mean, you know, well, you know, as, as uh Devin Faraci uh, pointed out <laughs> um, over at Badass Digest, I don't know how many people out there actually like Devin. He, he I has some haters, <laughs> uh, but I think he's funny as shit. So, um, but he, uh, he said something in his write-up, uh, like he did a quick response to the nominations and, and how like, outrageous they were really um and he said something about uh the best actor nods that i thought was really interesting it's that uh bradley cooper has been nominated for an acting award in the past three oscars at this point mm -hmm. which according to the industry right cements him as one of the greatest actors Because he's received three nominations in a row, right? This is how yeah. the industry works. And and I like Bradley Cooper, and he's great in American Sniper. Yeah. But that is absurd to me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I mean, I, I've only really started to warm up to some of the stuff he's doing in the past, like, two years. I mean, honestly, like, this year between Guardians and this, it's really actually stepped up my appreciation for, for Bradley yeah. Cooper, saying that he can do things that are a little bit more than kind of what I've I've more or less seen in the past as kind of one notey sort of characters. And uh, so that, I mean, that was great. I mean, but like, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we were both fans of Steve Carell and Foxcatcher, but is it really best actor nomination really worthy over like say Gyllenhaal? I don't think so. No, 
if that if that were to come down to it, no, no I'm way a, in hell. I'm a huge Benedict Cumberbatch fan, but there are, I mean, but you know, over David Yellio, I'm never going to say the name right, but <laughs> over him, no, I'm sorry, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, but no, he was, I mean, he doesn't deserve that spot. I mean, I would say that, that Keaton deserves the spot that he got, so, and probably you know, maybe Keaton will probably even win. Probably. Right? Uh, here's here's the other thing that really blew my mind was uh, how did Morton Tilden get a directing nod it there's the, nothing the guy who directed imitation game which is one of the most bland flavorless freaking movies i've seen this year outside of the two lead performances right mm-hmm. um there's no way that that is <laughs> it is it is not good direction no it, the, it, that the, he should definitely not be in there was better directed like had more directorial flair than I don't than know. I'd put him. I'd put him. I'd put him on equal footing. But that's just well. Me. That, that's fine. But even then, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as someone who thinks that movie should have never won that, no, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like this is it. He did this so much better. Lay Biz. That this, still's gonna this haunt vanilla me. cake motherfucker. Yeah. Is who you've got nominated here over? I don't know anyone else. Like you didn't put. Uh, uh, the director of Selma in. you didn't put the direct, you did Dan Gilroy, right? Yeah. For night watcher or Nightcrawler didn't get one. Uh, it's, it's just crazy. And again, uh, Fox that, catcher, a movie that we both loved, uh, you know, you, you get best. Also not well directed. Uh, it's not very well. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's so paint by numbers and not like, and it's not in like, and that one's not as bad as like imitation game as far as that goes, but no. there's nothing in it that you look at and you just go like, wow. And say what you want about Birdman. It was very well directed with, I mean, you may not like the, no, what I'm not it did, argue with, but it with was like well directed. Oh yeah. I have my own personal bullshit. Yeah. And right? that's, and that's, <laughs> that's perfectly separate. fine. Exactly. That's perfectly fine. Um, it, my, my point right now, I would, I would love to see Grand Budapest do some damage at this flick. At, the, at this Oscars. I don't know if it's going to happen, but that's what I would love to see. I think Birdman's probably going to end up taking a lot of stuff, and I enjoyed that movie far more than you did, but I really... Uh, Grand Budapest was one of my... It, it's definitely within my probably top three of the year, and I really... I love Grand Budapest. It was I, awesome. You know, I, I, I hope it gets the kind of love it deserves, and but it, it may not. <laughs> no, it may not, but you know... Uh, I'd probably get production would, design or something. I would not mind that movie being the upset that cancels out, like, uh, Boyhood and whatever the fuck else and, and boyhood um, boyhood's fine i mean it's a great directorial accomplishment but i don't want to say it's a great i don't want to say it's it's to me it's not the best directed film it's the best directorial concept that's been done this year well i mean i don't know i might put birdman on top of that but that's just that's another personal kind of thing but i don't know I don't James know. Gunn directed the shit out of Gardens. Of Gardens Galaxy. Galaxy was made. Trust me, my if you're gonna if you're gonna look <laughs> at movies that I think was the best movie of the year, and we haven't done a quite, I haven't really sat down to make a proper like top ten list or anything. I haven't either. I'm still trying to power through a few. But it's it's Guardians of the Galaxy. It was at least the the film that I had the the most fun watching this year. So yeah, ditto. Anyway, so let's just all right. So we jump all over right. that. We'll we'll get into the Oscars more when when that happens, and we'll talk about <laughs> that kind of shit. And so we'll do a whole show devoted <laughs> on on the enormous fuck ups that were that that were sure to have gone down. 
um, as as we are wont to do on this podcast. Maybe um, maybe we can do some uh, fun stuff around that. I don't know. We'll look into it. We'll let you guys. We'll keep you appraised. And we're going to be covering the Razzies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so let's let's get into a little bit of uh, what you've been watching. Now I see. I I hear you. You saw an immaculately good film this this week. I saw a real piece of cinematic garbage this week. Um, here's uh, so I saw Black Hat. Um, Black Hat is the new movie for Michael Mann, mm-hmm. who I love. Right, uh, I don't always like everything he's done. I had some issues with uh, Miami Vice. I had some issues with Public Enemies. I've never hated a Michael Mann movie. Black Hat is one of the most god awful things I've ever seen in a theater. <laughs> Can I, I like I'm not even going to qualify that. It's not it's not bad, you know, in relation it is just fucking bad. Oof. Um and it's for two kind of major 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 reasons. Um so I'm not going to bore you guys with the plot because uh the first problem is that the movie is one of the most tedious things I have ever sat through in my entire life. Um it just goes on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> to the break of break uh, it down. Like it's a goddamn Erica Badu song, right? <laughs> uh, it's It just is insufferably long. Um, and the the story isn't that interesting anyway, right? It's, ba- it's like there's somebody who's hacking into shit and blowing up a power plant. He's, ma- he's hacking into shit and stealing money by running up different stocks and cashing out, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got this imprisoned um, hacker. We're going to get him out, and he's going to help us track him down. The most that beautiful is, tracker that, that has is, ever existed. The most beautiful yeah. hacker has ever existed. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, the mo- But it's the most basic, like, crime plot that you, <laughs> you could imagine, right? Something that we've seen done even by Michael Mann a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, minus the computer bits, but it just, it is so long and it's not interesting. Not a single character is interesting in this movie. Um, but aside from it just being tedious and boring and slow and like, what's the clock time on it? We looked it up. It's about two. It's over two hours. It's almost two and a half, I think. Yeah. 133 minutes. Right. Yeah. So a hundred and say 110 minutes or uh, two hours, 10 minutes. I mean, right. Um, just insufferable. That's not even that long by, <laughs> by major movie standards these days. It's just, it feels long and that's an issue. Hmm. Um, the, the biggest thing though, is this movie looks like trash. <laughs> it looks terrible. It looks like well, actually, I can't tell you what it looks like. I've, I don't think I've ever seen a major movie that in the theater that looks as bad as this movie. Okay, you, you just qualified it right there because you had said before before we started the show that was the worst you've ever seen. And I was just kind of like, have you seen a couple of trauma films? Because some of those are pretty... Okay, but major... Okay. No, 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 no. This has worse cinematography than a trauma film. Ooh. Yeah. I'm not even going to see. I'm, it's like I, all the things you're saying make me want to go see this because it seems so well, bad. If, it's like one of those things I need to experience to be that bad. Well, it, I would say this if the story were not so basic and didn't take for God ever uh, to get through, uh, sure, go see it. But I tell you, it is ugly. This movie is ugly. It looks like shit. Um, I have seen first time student films 
in classes that look better than this movie shot on the same prosumer camera. Hmm. Right. Um, and it, I don't know, there are weird lag issues. Uh, there are weird contrast issues between types of shots. This was a problem they had in public enemies, uh, where, um, during action scenes, the like cinematography would just completely change and not look like the same movie at all in any way. Um, but here it's magnified by just, looking bad generally not even like a well-composed use of this camera um do you know what camera it is i'm trying to look it up uh it's should be on here let's see um looks like it was shot on the ari alexa m and the ari alexa xt as well as the red scarlet x those should all look good it should all look good that's what i'm saying It should look amazing. And it looks like someone picked up this camera and turned it on and had no fucking clue what they were doing. Yeah. Well, um, but you know, it could, there are some of the issues that could have been, uh, upload issues, except there were so many of them that I can't even fault the theater, right? Like, (laughs) uh, there are weird times when people are just moving when they're like, they're, they're like the camera's just following them and they're moving and there's a jerky ghosting effect going on hmm. that is not supposed to be there because there's no other reason for it to be taking place other than the camera picked up an anomaly. Whoever put the not the film together didn't give a shit that the anomaly was there and it glitches and it's it looks fucking awful. Uh do not go see Black Hat. Don't even bother downloading it. Watch Tromeo and Juliet. It'll look <laughs> better. It'll be more interesting. That shit's only like 90 minutes. Um, oh, it's fucking terrible. And it only it debuted in 11th place this weekend that's with, uh, with $4.4 million. Yeah, that's a uh, $70 million movie. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's what that's what I've been watching. And it was fucking terrible. I kind of black. I feel like I got to go see it now because it's just like there's you you say too many well, things. Movie pass, so yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> that has helped for everything. I, so if if I were not going to be talking about it today and and like hoping against hope that uh, Michael Mann got his shit together in the in the last hour or so, I would have walked out. <laughs> Man, seriously, I would have walked. That would have been the second movie I've ever walked out on. This one and Be Cool were the only movies that I've ever had like a physical <laughs> revulsion to being in the theater while they were on and be cool. Yeah. I, I, so that's something I think th- there was a sliver of me that kind of walk, wanted to walk out in, um, into the woods. I was just, I was so not feeling yeah, there was it. part of it too, but, but like, this was a really like gut feeling physical thing. It was like, I need to get up and go. Because I can't even physically take watching this movie any longer. Now, what I think I'm going to end up watching next week, and I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to make a, a, a bit for it this time, was, um, was and, and I've heard a lot of good things. It's like at fucking 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Paddington has gotten amazing reviews. 
Oh yeah, and a lot uh, of my friends like it. Bruce from uh, from from uh, my other podcast, uh, Here We Podcast, and of course Heroes and Villains, heroesandvillains.com People, or actually that's not those websites. BruceLeslie.com. Go to that one. Um, but uh, he said he took his kids to see it, and he, like he was just like, man, I was going into this thinking, oh, this is gonna be for the kids, and I'm gonna hate it. He's like, it was really good. So that's on my list. But I saw the number uh, the number two uh, movie of the week. Um, uh, behind American Sniper, of course. I saw uh, the Wedding Ringer uh, with Kevin Hart and Josh Gad. Um, it was um, it, it's it's a movie from Sony. <laughs> <laughs> you know how uh, in some of those emails where they uh, the Sony execs were talking back and forth about how you know we just put out kind of trite garbage, and this was like, and look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this movie was like you know. A, a late Sandler level piece of junk because it's it's not that bad, but it is it's very paint by numbers. Uh, it's exactly what you would expect it to be if you sat down for twenty minutes and really kind of plotted out. If somebody said, "Here's the plot, here's the basic idea for this story," come out with you know a two page treatment, and you would ev- almost everyone would come out with something fairly similar. Probably seventy five percent of what would happen during this film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's. I mean, the idea is interesting. It's plausible enough. It would have been nice to see this done as more of a kind of just a straight idea and not more of a comedy. Uh, It's R-rated, which I thought, oh, maybe, okay, R-rated. Well, maybe they're kind of going more for, maybe they're taking a chance with this. All of a sudden, when I saw that this was R-rated, I'm like, well, this is clearly going to be PG-13. When I saw R, I was like, well, maybe they're taking a little bit more chances with this. Honestly, it's just mostly, you know, a lot of fucks, fucks and shits and stuff. And it's like, "Mm," I mean, you know, and at first when I was watching, I'm like, did they just edit all these fucks in or all the fucks and stuff ADR? They're not, but... um, you know, it's it's not a daring R by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, there's there's a bunch of stuff that's kind of like almost almost kind of just borderline offensive about homosexuals and stuff that kind of bothered me. That was just like you know they have like a wedding planner there who's just like uh, when you first meet him and stuff, he's just the most. I mean, like he makes you know the most flaming person you know look like you know tame. He's just so over-the-top gay, and it was just like, this is like really bordering on kind of minstrel offensive type stuff here. And then we later find out that he's not, you know, he's gay, but he's not like flaming gay because that's how, because the uh, the wedding planner came out and everyone wants a, you know, a gay, um, you know, wedding planner and all this shit. And uh, I, I don't know, it just... It, it it that that bit bordered on offensive and it was always just kind of there's some stuff in there that was just like did you really have to do this and I don't know what it is with Sony and and dick gags but there's a scene where Josh Gad basically gets like his dick licked by a fucking dog right cool and the dog like grabs onto his dick and doesn't let go, and of course his dick just stretches out a good bit, whatever, and then uh, one guy fires a bullet into the air and uh, scares the dog to death where he gets lockjaw and is clamped down on his dick, and they have to take him to the hospital and sew his dick up on the eve of his wedding. And this is barely mentioned out from the time before. And then he goes and plays a football game with it with his uh, soon-to-be uh, father-in-law. It, the, the movie's pretty shite. So, um, you know, it's just, it's it's not good. It's one of those things that, like, I don't know, if you're super bored, maybe a little bit high on a Saturday, you might watch it on Netflix for free. Yeah. But that's about it. Um, 
there's there's nothing that is brought to this party that is interesting other than some of the ideas that are there, but it's like they almost don't even quite know what to do with those ideas, and it's so paint by numbers that it's just pathetic. And this movie's not made by Happy Madison? <laughs> no, but it might as well have been. Yeah, um, that's sad. It, it, it could have easily been, and this is a movie that like really, like from the first song really started to test my fucking nerves where it was just like, okay, you're going to start out and you're going to play some fucking black eyed peas. You've already got strike one on your list. Motherfucker. (laughs) It was, I was like, I was pissed. Now granted there's, there, there are some good songs in the movie. So at least I'll say that the soundtrack is probably one of the stronger points of the movie. And that sadly includes the black eye fucking peas. I'll get on Spotify and so see what's up with that. Not that good, but uh, yeah. So don't recommend go see go see Paddington. Go see something else. I haven't seen Paddington, but the reviews say you should go see that. So do do that instead. Yeah, I go see that. All right, so I'm gonna go see that next week, and I'll talk. I should talk about it. I don't know if I could find time and room, and I just I do too many things. My life is too filled full of garbage, and um, I've realized now that I I can't figure out everything to do in life. It's just it's too fucked up. Anyways. All right, so let's uh, let's get into our first uh, new release that's slightly old <laughs> of the week. Here is the uh, the trailer for the Baba Duke. Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Baba Duke. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Baba That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Nothing bad's gonna happen, Sam. Did he think that about my dad before he died? He sees things as they are, that one. I promise to protect you if you promise to protect me. Oh, my God. Did he hurt anyone? The boy has significant behavioural problems. This monster thing has got to stop, all right? It's just a book. It can't hurt you. And that was part of the trailer for the Baba Duke, or one of our new releases. I didn't want to do too much of it because I think there's some interesting stuff that kind of gets get, get not not spoiled per se, but uh, you know you hear some stuff. So we're not gonna we're I'm not gonna play the whole thing. But anyways, uh, so this is uh, the uh, new release this year. Here's the uh, IMDb logline, and as we know, IMDb always 100 percent always correct in everything they say and do. Uh, a single mother plagued by the violent death of her husband battles with uh, her son's fear of a monster lurking in the house, but soon discovers a sinister presence all around her. This is, of course, directed and written by Jennifer Kent, starring Essie Davis, Noah Wiseman, and a uh, handful of other folks. Um, so, Matt, I am I'm I gotta say I'm sincerely glad that you said let's wait and talk about this until you've seen it. And uh, this is one that I was kind of getting meaning to get around to. I'd heard some good things, but damn oh damn, was I happy to see this movie? Um, I'll go. I'll start off. Yeah, go for this it. This movie scared the piss out of me. <laughs> this movie's fucking scary, dude. Uh, and not just because of ghosts. No, it's like, and that's the thing. There's no, there's not <laughs> jump scares. There's not a lot. It's a lot of moody, atmospheric stuff. Uh, and it's, weirdness. Yeah, weirdness. The, uh, you know, the scary shit is a psychological makeup of this mother and son and what's going on, what led them to this case, and. Damn if it's not good. <laughs> right? 
No, this this movie. Uh, I so I actually watched it again last night, and um, I have to say it's uh, probably quickly becoming one of the best things I saw in in twenty fourteen. Um, it's definitely going to make my top ten. I don't know where. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it in is, the ten. I'll tell you that much. I know it that is much. really amazing. Um, and I don't know. It, it works on so many different levels that aren't just. Like I like I love The Conjuring, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it's doing something very different than The Conjuring, but it works just like that, where I can just sit there and like rewatch it and find new things, and it still creeped me out last night, right? Like I knew its tricks, I knew its uh, kind of bits and pieces, and where they were all going to come together, and it's still a really creepy experience. So that's pretty rare uh, yeah. for a newer horror film. It's, it's rare for most horror films and generally, historically, right? Period. Uh, th- but there are a few throughout kind of every decade that stand the test of time and really, like, continue to freak people out and be creepy, regardless of whether or not we feel like they're dated or mm-hmm. even believe the stuff, right? Like, The, the right. Exorcist, for example, still creeps me out, and I haven't gone to church or believed in God since I was in uh, middle school. Right. So, uh, but it's one of those things that it's just like, even uh, that's what's, that's mm -hmm. what makes even like the exorcist, the most scary thing in the world. It's like for people that don't even believe to just go, well, just in case we're, (laughs) cause that shit's scary. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't know the, the Babadook, um, or the Babadook, whatever, uh, as as it should be said, right. Like, like book, um, it's got a short, uh, double O, um, the Babadook is, um, I don't know. There's, there's a, it's a really creepy monster, um, that maybe isn't even actually there. Yeah. It may be there. It may be not. And I've heard a lot of really interesting thoughts to the idea of this, Mm -hmm. but here, here's kind of the quick idea for those that kind of want to get the basic sort of plot line. Uh, so this lady whose husband died, uh, while, while driving her to the hospital to have her son, uh, he dies and everything years later, it's about seven years later here. Her kid is kind of growing up and he's a pretty mischievous kid. I mean, he's like really bordering on kind of uh, a a very troublesome kid. She's like, they, they need to, you know, assign him a worker that's just going to contact, you know, work with him kind of one-on-one. It's almost like, they're almost just like, look, he's so much of a, you know, a pain. He's almost kind of like a, we almost, they're almost treating him like a special needs kid in, Mm -hmm. in a sense. And uh, she's just like, no, he's fine. He's, you know, he's just kind of going through a phase or whatever and blah, 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 blah. And the kid is really like, um, you know, he's he's an annoying presence in there. I mean, that's at least what I got got this. You know, you watch it and you're just like, this poor mother has to kind of deal with this. And she's clearly a very distraught person. And then, uh, so, so one night, um, she's, she's like, okay, well, it's, uh, your turn to go, you know, pick a book. And so he goes and picks a book off the bottom shelf there. And, uh, she's, she's never seen this book before. She's just like, what is this? And it was called, uh, Mr. Babadook. And, um, so they open it up and they, and first of all, this is the scariest children's book you will ever look at. It looks like, what if Tim Burton did charcoal nightmare drawings? I really want a copy of this. It, like, like, I hope that they're. Someone should make one. They probably should. I wouldn't. I wonder what the um, the gifts were because this was kind of. I believe this was finished up on Kickstarter. I wonder if they gave out books. That would have been dope. 
Yeah, uh, I don't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's like this scary looking pop up book and everything, and it, you kind of heard him kind of reading it there at the beginning of the trailer, and. Uh, this kid, he starts to see things. He starts to see this creature, and he, you know, um, is saying he's going to protect his mom from him. He's making like all these, you know, kind of devices and weapons and stuff to be able to defeat this thing. And uh, of course, you know, as a parent would, you're just like, look, you're just imagining these things. It's just a scary book and whatever. It's not. It's not anything, you know. So she goes and she tears up the book, throws it away, and of you know, of course, later on <laughs> the book comes back. And then, but I'm not going to go too much deep into it because I think people need to really see this movie. Mm-hmm. But um, there's things that are in this movie, just reactions and everything. There's like this part in the car where the kid just screams, and that's one another thing I want to talk about is like the performances between these two people are fucking astoundingly real. I mean, this, I mean, he screams like a little child screams, you know, and when she's upset and yells at him and stuff, you feel it like it's a real thing. So there's, I mean, the director should be like, you know, commended very much on this because there's a sense of realism to these people and the reactions and and uh, and um, interactions between each other mm-hmm. that really lend to making the horror all that more horrific because it feels real. Yeah, um, I don't know that like it's it was a weird movie for me to watch the first time because like uh, there is an odd sense of realism going on here, right? It's very heightened, uh, in many regards. Um, but then again, it's a horror movie, right? So it's kind of taken the, the heightened realism. Yeah. I mean, obviously but there's these characters, the right. Are really grounded in one another and in, um, kind of very interpersonal relationships that I think we can all identify with. Uh, and they feel like they're fully fleshed out too. Right. So like the sun, doesn't feel like a caricature of autism for example right uh which is one of the prevalent theories of what's going on with the sun right Mm -hmm. yeah i could see that Um, uh but it never feels trite or overwrought it just is and it works for what the movie ends up doing with it um which is set up this kind of really tense intense relationship uh between mother and son that may or may not be fueled by some sort of monstrous presence in their house. Right. And the great part about this movie is too, is that, uh, and I've heard so many interpretations as to what people think about it. And I think that lends itself to making it a great movie is that, uh, you can, you know, call so much from this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard theories of like, you know, it's, it's her, like this whole thing is her dealing with grief. Uh, I've heard things of about it's him dealing with grief. I've heard it's, you know, it's possibly about her, uh, you know, abuse of substances, uh, right. you know, so there's a lot of things that you could go in. And the nice part is, is that it doesn't make any of those clear and that's not a bad thing. Uh, it no, just I mean, leads I it open to conversation. Yeah. The open endedness of it, uh, kind of really does, um, it helps the movie, right? Uh, there's a lot to say about it. You can watch it countless times. I feel like, um, I, I, I know this will be a movie that I go back to again and again and again. Um, and I, I just, uh, I think people will have fun talking about it. Right. Um, and, and I think they should, I think people should see this and they should talk about it and just find 
find it out for themselves. It's, it's a lot of fun in a completely different way, but also like (sighs) trying to tell people that they should see the Babadook is like trying to tell people that they should see Snowpiercer. Yeah. Right. Uh, because both of the movies are like, they're very singularly minded, but they're a lot of fun, which is, uh, like why people should want to see them. Um, but there's not any one thing to them that you can just point to and be like, see it because of this. Well, right? I mean, I, I think this at one, least, I think the, I think the one difference is that you can say that, that people should see the Babadook first and foremost, because it's uh fucking terrifying. Yes. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, at least with like this, that's, that's the easy end for people to just go like, dude, this movie's super scary. You like scary movies, watch this. And yeah. then, and 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 that's the the best part about this movie is that it works on both of those levels. It's a really scary movie, and it's a movie that you can talk about later with other people and really try to break down what's happened. But even if you don't do any of that stuff, you still got a really bitching movie over here. So I mean, yeah. it's a win win win. Yes, uh, no, the, man. I don't even want to talk about it. People, go and watch this fucking movie. Yeah, it's it, like, it, like, it just is, go and watch it. It's fantastic, kind of minimal effects and everything uh, with it, which I think also lends to a lot of creepiness and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think going back and it's 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 of an indeterminate date uh, when this is taking place. But uh, I mean, to me, it's a lot of very kind of seventies style filmmaking and stuff, and I, I dig it for the most part. Yeah, I mean, well, for the most part, as far as that filming aspect uh, goes, yeah. but. Uh, Great, great, great movie. Cannot cannot recommend this high enough. So, uh, you know, it is out on VOD right now. It is in a couple of uh, small theaters. But uh, if you have a chance, go see it. See it with the lights off. See it with some friends. You know what I really thought during this movie, though? Because I watched it at home. But I really was just like, man, oh, man, do I want to see this with a black audience. Oh, <laughs> God almighty, with that would be the, the best. I'm just like a black audience would just absolutely love this movie. And they will let you know about it. And they're the best yeah group to see horror movies with and this one would definitely be up on that list so oh man but dude check that out so uh that's it that's our review for that one uh so let's uh jump into our second review of the week here and if my thing is uh properly up um (laughs) that's what she said son of a bitch uh i don't know you you got me looking at the trailer or the other thing for the thing is your thing not up then it's never up baby (laughs) all right here's the uh that's a, that's what we call into innuendo, kids. Here's a trailer for American Sniper. I got a military-aged male uh, on a cell phone watching the convoy over. If you think he's reporting troop movement, you have a green light. Your call, over. Maybe he's just calling his old lady. (laughs) He stepped off. Hold on, I got a woman and a kid 200 yards out moving towards the convoy. swing and she's carrying something. Yeah, she's got a grenade. She's got an RKG, Russian grenade. She's saying to the kid, 
You say a woman and a kid? You got eyes on this? Can you confirm? Negative. Your call. That was the trailer for American Sniper, our uh, second new release review of this week. And I played that one because I, I, you know, it's a little bit visual, but for the most part, I love that trailer because to me that seemed like a very kind of throwbacky sort of trailer to set trailers yeah. that you kind of used to see back in the day where they'd kind of just show you a scene and everything. Uh, but really, really good. Here is the uh, the IMDb uh, plot synopsis here. Uh, so Navy SEAL Christopher Kyle's pinpoint accuracy saves countless lives on the battlefield and turns him into a legend. Back home, his wife and kids... Um, his wife and kids, after four tours of duty, however, Chris finds him finds that war uh, that this is the war he can't leave behind. Uh, it is the new movie directed by uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, written by uh, uh, Jason Hall, and uh, based on the book by uh, Chris Kyle and uh, whoever, uh, starring uh, Bradley Cooper, Sienna Miller, uh, and, a, and a slew full of others. Um, so this movie um, is kind of like uh, our last real Oscar Beatty sort of uh, film that we're kind of checking out here, mm-hmm. and um, uh, nominated for uh, best um, best actor for Bradley Cooper and uh, was it picture as well, but not director. Right, not director, but best picture. A lot of weird stuff going on with all these. I don't kinda... know if it got anything else. Adapted sure. screenplay, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I gotta say, um, overall, I, I was um, like, I love that trailer so much going into it, and honestly, I was like, this movie had not been on my uh, radar uh, until a couple, about maybe two or three months ago. And when the trailer came out, I was just like, oh, okay. Well, uh, that that trailer alone made me go, yeah, I'll go see this. Uh, mm-hmm. it, this was not a story that I was overly uh, familiar with. I think I may have heard maybe a couple of things about this guy in passing and everything. Uh, but uh, he uh, basically, it's about uh, Bradley Cooper plays a guy who was, um, you know, kind of almost about 30 years old, decides that he, you know, needs to uh, defend his country and everything and uh, goes out just, you know, becomes a Navy SEAL and then becomes one of the most proficient snipers uh, in U.S. history. That's kind of pretty much the movie yeah. in a nutshell. And and weird uh, to me because uh, not that much sniping in the actual movie. Mm, there's an okay amount, but yeah, yeah I I guess, mean, maybe not a ton. It's called American Sniper, not American Sometimes Sniper. <laughs> American Occasional Sniper. <laughs> uh, no, um let me start here talking uh, just a little bit about what I liked and didn't like. Okay. Uh, I generally actually enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's problematic um, for reasons that we can get into if you really want to. I think it's a discussion worth having, but I also think it's kind of a discussion that's playing out. I think that probably along alongside you, uh, that people are kind of making far too much of it. Yeah. Um, and of course I'm talking about like the overt patriotism kind of thing, right? Uh, you and I have talked uh, very briefly about this film and kind of, uh, I read it the same way you do, which is that it's much more about uh, like PTSD than yeah. anything else. Right. Um, I mean, 
I think that there's not a way to watch this movie and not get from it that Chris Kyle was some sort of good guy, a decent guy. And he may very well have been a decent the, guy. The movie portrays him but as the, such. Yeah, but the problem is uh, that even if you read the book, right, um, he himself admits to certain things like boasting about how he's proud like of having this opinion or whatever that uh, are re- like actually make him kind of a shitty human being. Um, and I don't know that the movie does enough to push back on just the now granted, right. Uh, Clint Eastwood's a conservative filmmaker, right. Mm -hmm. Um, like politically conservative. Right. Um, he, uh, has a great veneration for the military, right. He's, I mean, he got his start outside of Westerns doing war pictures, um, and he's directed quite a few of them. This is his best war movie, maybe, that he's directed. Uh, I'm going to qualify that by saying that I haven't seen um, Letters from Iwo Jima since it came out, and I remember quite liking it. But uh, there's definitely much more um, kind of narrative tension here than there's than there wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Like, just the scene from the trailer that we're watching, right? Like, there's a, a little bit of perspiration on this movie. Like people are sweating it out a little bit with these characters in these combat situations that they normally probably would not have been, uh, in another Eastwood movie. Right. Right. Um, just because of the style of filmmaking that he tends to go for, which is pretty low key, um, pretty straightforward, not a lot of flash, but here he, he does a pretty good job. It's not Catherine Bigelow tension, but it gets the job done. Yeah, for, yeah there's for, there's some very kind of edgier seat sort of stuff where you know you are kind of uh, you, you tense up and everything, and it, it it works pretty well. You're right; it's not flashy or anything, but it's it's done very deftly for sure. Right, and so one one of the things that really has bothered me with the with the criticism, right, is um, like even though he is a like kind of an actual douchebag in real life, and the film doesn't go that much into that, it does not portray him as all the time being a great guy, a good human being even, right. or a good husband. Um, and I feel like the movie has enough shadow that you can deal with that on your own level, right? I would I would also not expect that a movie, uh, and it's crazy that people would expect, right, that a movie based on an autobiography about a guy who um, is factually the most, uh, like, decorated um sniper in american history right Mm -hmm. uh soldier even i think he has more confirmed kills um than any any other uh person during at least the iraq and afghanistan war Mm -hmm. if not the preceding wars right i I forget all the stats on it but statistically he is quote unquote a hero um oh it certainly doesn't do what fury did Right. A few months ago, which was take the war is hell mantra and run with it to the end. Um, But it does play around in that milieu and it does it through post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's important. And people aren't talking about that aspect of the movie. They're so focused on whether or not Chris Kyle was or was not a douchebag in the film that they're missing some of the other things that are perhaps a little more nuanced in there that I think are more interesting to actually talk about. Um, you know, because because I think the record is like 
what it is and you there's no debating either way right you're either going to see this guy as a great american soldier hero or as a guy who did his job extremely well but was also an asshole um and there's not going to be any change there so why spend your time arguing about it deal with what the movie's telling us which i think is where you come into this right yeah i mean my thing is like i mean i could i could care less overall whether or not he was a jerk in in real life or not the movie doesn't necessarily portray him as that now he's not exactly a good family man or anything else like that he uh is very socially stunted in many ways and i'm just going to go by the portrayal of this person in a film mm-hmm. and uh we're we're going to discount real life for the time being but um, what really bothers me from some of the criticism that I've been seeing, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you all right? No. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. I don't. I don't even know. <laughs> we got Baba Dukes up in here, bitches. <laughs> Fucking Baba uh, so watch out. Um, but some of the some of the criticism that I've been been seeing laid, which is I don't think the same kind of criticism that you've been seeing, was is that this movie is and and I thought it going in having uh, uh Eastwood being the type of director that he is I thought this would very much I was like man I really hope this doesn't come into a rah rah war is great kind of thing and we should be in there you know killing these motherfuckers left and right I was I was afraid that it might go down that route but it really didn't go down or at least it certainly didn't feel that way to me It's not overt right I'll say I'll say that to that right like it's there but it's there because I think largely just what the source material because, is. And, but right? I think this was, this was a guy who believed in what he was doing. Well, and, and see, but that's the thing. But here's what I got from the character, and this is, and I'm going to give credit to Bradley Cooper for this, because yeah. when I watched this character, now, granted, again, this may not be how he was in real life. This is what I'm getting from the character in the movie. Let me, I'm, I hate, I have to fucking preface that every time. But what I got from uh, his portrayal of this character was, was this guy was not super uh, stoked about killing people. You saw that kind of play off with his spotter and everything. His spotters were always just kind of like, yeah, man, kill this motherfucker, and he never had that kind. Of this character, as it was played, didn't have that kind of thing. Now, whether he had it in real life, that's a, that's a different discussion altogether. But the way it's portrayed, I didn't see this as a guy who was super happy about what he was having to do, about how going out and killing these people. He just happened to be amazingly good at his job. Now, if you really want to get into kind of the propagandistic uh, sort of aspect to it, uh, that actually I I saw as a bad thing was kind of the flashback to earlier in his uh, uh, you know childhood growing up and everything. And the oh, speech yeah. that his father gives. Well, and I and I think that that right, knowing that this is where the kid comes from, this is his background. Uh, that's that speech that just like I, if it had been a movie called uh, Men of Valor, for example, right, um, where a father gave a speech to his son about how it was God uh, making sure that people were like. God said there are three types of people. It's sheeps, shepherds, and uh, wolves, right? Or sheep, wolf, or sheep dogs and, and wolves, right? Yeah. That's the speech, right? Uh, sheeps are the doers. They just go along blindly, whatever. Wolves take advantage of them. And then there are a small select few who are the sheep dogs that keep the wolves at bay and protect the sheep. And that's their job, right? And that this is like some weird 
Christian message? Well, I don't even think it's that. I mean, I just thought that to me overall, that seemed like more of the kind of American rah-rah thing that I was hoping that this movie wouldn't devolve into. Well, and I, but I think that it's very difficult to watch, for example, the the footage of his funeral over the credits, right? Um, where people are lining the streets in Texas, right? They're uh, mourning the loss of this guy. He's being treated like he's a hero um, who's done amazing stuff. I think he has problems with it, but I don't know that it's because he like here's the here's the other thing I don't get from the film. Right. So, yes, I get that he has issues with PTSD, and that is actually I feel much more thematically drawn out than any of the other stuff regarding war and being a soldier and all this other stuff. Um but I don't feel like I get the sense from the film that it was any of what he had done, like actually done, right? Right. That made him uncomfortable with war. It was more the not being able to protect his fellow soldiers all the time. Um, possibly some of it had to do with shooting children, but I never got the sense that he did not enjoy what it was he was actually doing well, and, that, no, that, I, and yeah. that caused any of his trauma. Yeah. I right? can, I can, I can, I can agree with that. I, 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 I think I can, that's that. where the problematics come into to reading this film and looking at it in a more politically uh, minded manner, um, which is still not as far as some of the real hardline critics of this movie are going. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't, and 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 I I'm not gonna lie. I think some of this movie and and people can say whatever the fuck they want, but I think it's true. I think um, also some of you know your own personal views, whether you're thinking about it or not, are gonna help travel over into this movie, be it for good or for ill or however you think, are gonna help maybe formulate some of this stuff. And that's and that counts for everybody, myself included is that we all kind of bring what we bring to this as well. And, you know, I, I think the different things can be interpreted uh, uh, different ways. But um, I got to well, say and that. I th and I think that's the case with a lot of war movies in general, right? Like, there, I think as a genre, uh, the war film gets a lot of flack for being this rah-rah, uh, go-America, jingoistic exercise. But I think mm -hmm. by and large... That's the result of uh, like it's very difficult. Um, there's a, I think it was Truffaut, um, and I'll just paraphrase right. Truffaut uh, basically said that um, to put to portray war on screen is to glorify it. And what he meant by that was uh, that there's not a way to shoot war, which is an action scene, mm -hmm. right? In like combat is action. Uh, there's not a way to shoot that and not have it be thrilling in some way right. right engaging uh that doesn't mean that i've seen really great war films all the time there are some really crappy unengaging war films but there's still that appeal to it right um and i think that's probably part of it the other part is that uh the war genre um has kind of a stigma about it anyway just because it on one level, right, even if it's not what the film is always about, right, so even here, the film being about Chris Kyle specifically and the effect of PTSD, uh, even probably more specifically than that, uh, the film always has to in some way adopt 
the position of the aggressor for it to, uh, or in this case, the quote unquote victor, right? I.e. America, uh-huh. um, in order for it to be even engaging, um, or profitable or any number of things, right? It's told from the side that thinks they're the fucking best because that's the way you can get through the war, right? Mm-hmm. To, to do the job you have to do. And I, I think that the, the war films just generally suffer from the fact that they're told from a very distinct jingoistic perspective on one level at all times, regardless. And the fact that like, combat is action and people like to watch action in films. Yeah. I mean, like I think the, like, like the kind of shit that bothered me was like, and, and I, and I like the guy, but I, I wonder if he honest to God has even seen the fucking movie, but, uh, you know, Seth Rogen's little yell about how, like, this is like watching, you know, whatever the fuck the thing was called in, uh, in the end of, uh, in, um, um, in glorious bastards, the, you know, the Nazi propaganda film and everything. And it's just like, I, I didn't see it as that kind of thing at all. And it was just like, it seemed like just like little statements like that. It's just like, this is not what this fucking movie is about. And now, and then that's the, no, that's I mean, the if, shit you, if you guys want an example of like, if anyone wants an example of what a straight up piece of American propagandistic bullshit action centered combat filmmaking is go and see men of valor. It was on Netflix. I don't know if it's there now. Um, but it is straight up. I mean, it's it's got real na- real Navy SEALs in it, for fuck's sake, yeah. right? Uh, go and see that movie and watch it and walk out of there and tell me that, that American Sniper or Zero Dark Thirty or any of these other fucking movies that everybody has such a big fucking problem about being propagandistic are anywhere near that level. Yeah. Watch that movie and tell me that American Sniper is as pro-America, rah-rah bullshit as Men of Valor. And, and and I'll fucking I don't know I'll send you a check for a hundred fucking dollars <laughs> if you write an essay proving me wrong but you won't because that five thousand words that minimal that ar- but that argument's bullshit right it's an inarguable position at some yeah. level and and this and the tough part is is like is all the 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 stupid and you're gonna find this with every film about every fucking thing in the world especially uh uh, uh you know any kind of war centric type things. Mm-hmm. There's the stupid jagoffs who fucking make it seem uh, to who make the movie out to be something it's not like, and I'm talking from both fucking sides here. Now yeah. we're going to talk about the other half, which is the dickheads that see this fucking movie and say this movie made me want to you know go out and kill some Arabs. This may- movie made yes. me want to go out oh, and like I, and will hate, that. I so hate I Muslims a, and so I, I love America a more. Packed theater uh, watching this because mm-hmm. um, as we all know, it made a hundred and fucking ten million dollars over the weekend. January record. Um, uh, but so I was in a packed theater and I do have to say that this audience was one of the worst audiences I've ever been in with a movie. Uh, and I've seen tons of war movies. It was just a particularly bad audience. Were they fucking cheering um, when people got their heads fucking oh, blown yeah, off? Yeah, of course. Jesus right? Christ. Like, thank God I was in a good theater then. Cause nobody, like, everybody I mean, was definitely silent. I'm just so. saying there were all, like probably every instance where there could have been that guy yeah there was at least one fucking person somewhere in the theater who gives a woo uh, yeah was like really into it there yeah. you know there those are the type of assholes who watch zero dark 30 uh complain about the first two fucking hours and then get all worked <laughs> up and go yeah fucking america at the last 30 minutes neglecting the fact that like 
yeah, the rest of this movie was about us failing to do our job for a decade. <laughs> You know, so I mean that that that's what kind of sucks is that you know both both halves of being just uh, of a bunch of dumb. It's like called fucking watch the movie and have a brain between your ears. Okay, I mean that's just I know it sounds like a tall order. <laughs> yeah, but right, come on. Can I talk? Uh, we've talked about this. So you were watching a fucking video a minute ago. I think the worst thing about this movie is uh, <laughs> there is. Maybe it might be the worst movie prop of all time. <laughs> Honestly, it might be. Uh, there is a scene when uh, Bradley Cooper and Sienna Miller are interacting with one of their infants. And it is a fucking plastic baby doll that uh, I think, oddly enough, it has some weird motion thing in its hand unless that was CGI'd in. Uh, so, so it's hand, right? It's fingers, it's digits are actually mobile at one point in this scene. Like they're opening slightly, closing slightly to give it some sort of realism effect to it. Uh, but I shit you not. And, and Adam, you can back me up on this. Um, maybe we should link to the video in the show notes. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there is a, a shot, uh, where Bradley Cooper is holding this baby and moving its arm up and down with his thumb to make it look like it isn't a fucking baby doll. <laughs> I felt so uh, high school drama club sorry for them watching this scene. Like, to, to have to be in fucking close-up where it's so obvious, right? It's like, like this is not a stage. There's no, there's no illusion about this. But what's weird is you said you didn't even notice it when you were watching the movie, right? I didn't even notice it. It's funny because you just like, this fucking baby, it's a fucking little crappy baby doll. And I'm just like, I mean, maybe, like, I think I may have noticed it very slightly in the back of my mind, but didn't pay it much attention. But it now, is. like, when you go back and look at it, and I'll link the video up, and I was just watching it just now. You can't unsee it. You can't not because now there's a part where like, you know, the baby's head is in like the middle of Bradley Cooper's chest and he lifts it over. And the way that this unnatural baby head flops over to the other to his right shoulder is hilarious. Yeah. Well, it's like if your baby moved like that, it would be a corpse baby. Yeah. Right? It's like, just like, like it's Winkin' like, and Birdie's baby. <laughs> uh I, I just don't, I mean, look, it's, it's become kind of a, kind of a scandal, this baby. Uh, I was telling you before that I've read several articles about it. So, you know, this movie costs $60 million and there's like a fucking $15 plastic baby doll. It's all that is so distracting. So dist it was all I could think about that whole time. That scene, I can't even remember uh what that scene was actually about other than the generality of like sienna miller's pissed off because he's not at home or he's going back to iraq or whatever right um because i was so focused on that goddamn baby the video is entitled the fake baby from american sniper <laughs> i mean that's just the title of the video it's not even like here's a moving scene it's so, called that so, fake baby <laughs> so the the screenwriter addressed this issue um, on Twitter and then took down the tweet. Wouldn't it be funny if he um, was like, fuck y'all, that baby's real. <laughs> <laughs> that, honestly, I was on set that, that day. That response would have been awesome. And I could have gotten <laughs> behind it at that point. But what he basically said was that the first baby showed up, right? They had, they had, they cast two babies in case something happened. Right. Um, the first baby showed up on set and had a fever. The second baby just didn't show up. 
It was a no show. <laughs> that baby was out uh, smoking a cigarette. Well, good luck on that. That fucking uh, parent ever getting their kids shoehorned into a movie again. Well, you'll never be a Hollywood um, parent. But, but uh, so so the second baby. Here's so they use this right. Like just as last minute, like he's. He said basically, like Clint was just like, "Yeah, get the baby doll, let's go," because um, Clint Eastwood uh, has a bit of a reputation for just getting shit done way early and ahead of schedule. And I have no doubt that if they had just paused for like thirty minutes, taken a fucking smoke break, snack break, whatever the fuck break, right, and gone outside the studio, they could have like yelled like. Can anyone get an infant here in 30 minutes? We'll give you X amount of money for an hour's worth of work. Yeah. Right. Uh, someone would have brought a fucking infant there. Oh, yeah. But, but no. We got one over at our place. I just go to my sister and just be like, hey, let me borrow your kid for about 20 they minutes. Cannot take a baby. We're about to make we some bread. We're about to pay for college. To find one. We got to put this plastic baby doll in here. And make the whole scene look. And it's two. And in this movie, man, at this time, and it is 2014. Andy Circus, that motherfucker. That's it, what I want to see. Scene too. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you didn't notice it because you weren't paying attention. But I noticed it immediately. Like when, because when the scene starts, Sienna Miller's character is like breastfeeding. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. the action. The, the that's that's happening. And then Bradley Cooper takes the baby and walks off while they continue having the conversation. Right. Right. I think I may have like noticed, noticed it a little bit and go, oh, that baby kind of looks kind of fake or something like that. And then I think I just like then I just locked right onto the two the of them and ignored the and baby. Then, and then that scene went on forever, and all I could think about was, man, this scene is going on for way too long, and there are a lot of really obvious shots about this baby being fake. And uh, like I don't know, it was a weird scene. Uh, or you know what you baby. really could have done is like even even if you would have done just a half second. Uh, you know, cut in of a live of a of a close up of a baby face, or uh, just put like fucking swaddling clothes on the thing and just held a big bundle of sheet. Yeah, like like you didn't even have to have a baby. That's the other crazy part. I hear in four K <laughs> you're going to be able to see the insert batteries sign uh, that was on the back. Uh, I don't know. Dog. It was just the weirdest, worst thing. Uh, it almost. Mars the entire experience of this movie. Fake me. baby aside, though, good movie. <laughs> yes, good uh, movie. Great. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, so anyway, uh, I guess we should we should wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, what What were your final thoughts? Adam? Final thoughts. I gotta say, I, I enjoyed this film a lot more than uh, I, I don't say more than I expected because that trailer did uh, set like a good thing. Uh, Bradley Cooper did really good here. Uh, I kind of like the way uh, you know he he gained some weight, got got pretty swelled up for this thing, and. Uh, uh, country accent, very, very kind of Texasy sort of thing. Completely buy that, a hundred percent. The movie's uh, very tense in a lot of places, and I think has some interesting things to say about uh, PTSD, war, how we treat our veterans, and uh, hopefully, if we're all smart, we can, uh, you know, just try to create less veterans by not having us go to war in the first place. Uh, but that's that's about it. And, but uh, overall, though, I, I did like it a lot. Yeah, I'm on board with this one. I think it was good. Um, there are issues that I ha- I have with it uh, on some ideological level, but uh, they're more interesting for me to think about than they are like off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a you know it's a Clint Eastwood war movie, man. It's just it's the I think part of the big backlash is that it's it's a war that just quote unquote ended. Um, 
and that we're still feeling very personal ramifications for in various ways, right? Not the least of which are um, like interpersonal, inter like transnational things, right? Uh, treatment of Muslims, perceptions of Muslims, right? Um, and and I think you know if this were a World War Two movie. Like, if, say it were another companion piece to Letters from Iwo Jima or Flags of Our Fathers or even some of the more rah-rah stuff that Clint Eastwood starred in in the 70s even, right? Um, I, I just think that if, if this were another war, it probably would not even have the negative reception that it does have. Yeah. Or if it did, it would be much less than it does. No, I think I agree with that. So, um, but no, it's good. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I saw it before I saw Black Hat, um, and maybe now I should have <laughs> should reversed, have that reversed those so that I walked out of the theater feeling great about Oops. having spent the, the afternoon there as opposed to terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we all make mistakes, and sometimes we learn from them. Sometimes yeah. we do. <laughs> Probably not. Not in this long no. of movie review and why, for free. Why not? All right, that is it, everybody. That's our two release uh, reviews of this week. Uh, next week, uh, it is not a big movie uh, week for uh, for Hollywood. We got Mordecai coming out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and yes, uh, we do. you know, I can't wait to talk about that movie. The girl next door, or the boy next door, with uh, J Lo. Mm-hmm. Cake comes out here. I've heard Jennifer Aniston's good in that. Doesn't have great reviews, but I heard she's good in it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh. I don't know. I'm really, I'm really interested to see um, Mordecai. We're gonna talk I about. Have, we're gonna talk about Mordecai next week because I have a feeling it's uh, terrible. I do too. But there's... I'm really surprised. However, I will say this: I'm really surprised it's rated R. Is it now? It is rated R. Then I don't. Well, I mean, I thought that about the wedding ringer, and we know how that turned out. Um, <laughs> but. I don't know. I mean, there's there's part of me that kind of like I, you know, and and I've said it in podcasts before. I'm gonna assume everything Johnny Depp from this point out is gonna is gonna uh, be absolute shit, and you have uh, nothing but you know the best of chance to prove me wrong. But uh, I'm gonna go in this with the biggest trepidations. But gosh, I just I hope it's kind of I hope it's fun. I hope it's like a Peter Sellers kind of you know vibe. I don't know. It would be great if it were. It is. Uh, directed by, of all people, David Coop, uh, the screenwriter, right? Who, um, it's just Kep, right? Should be David Coop. Coop? No, it's Kep. I'm fucking with him. Uh, okay. I'm just like, I'm uh, pretty sure his name's David Kep, but that's just Kep. me. Jesus Christ, man. Okay. Let me mispronounce shit how I want to mispronounce all right. shit. Hey, listen, I Mort, that's that's Mort my Dekai. gig on this show. <laughs> David Coop is directing Mort Dekai. Okay. <laughs> Um, no, but like David Kep, right, uh, who, um, right, well-known for Jurassic Park or the world screenplays, directed, uh, his last movie was really good, called uh, Premium Rush. Did you see that one? Um, I remember seeing the poster, but I never said it. You should just check it out. It's yeah? very good. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, oddly enough, uh, like, I don't know, he, he's done some stuff before that, but uh, so what I'm saying is, given given that he's directing it, um, I don't think he had anything to do with the writing of it. Um, it's probably 50-50. Right? But, it could uh, be good. It could be not good. Yeah. Speaking of David Kep, though. Yeah. Uh, next week on Here Movie Podcast, we're going to be reviewing a David, a David Kep written script 
for the shadow. Ooh, Ooh. that's a pile. Um, <laughs> so we're that's, that's a thing that happened. That's a thing that happened. So we're gonna be talking about Mordecai next week. How many podcasts are are gonna go and review Mordecai for you? Very few. So uh, that's it. We're uh, until uh, next week, Matt. Where can we find more of your work on the interwebs? Uh, just get a, get at me on that twits uh, at Matt underscore Boyd underscore Smith. Word. And of course, you can listen to my other show, Hero Movie Podcast, at heromoviepodcast.com. This week, we reviewed uh, the first three episodes of Marvel's Agent Carter and uh, kind of talk about that. And uh, is it a great show? Is it just an okay show? Should it stick the landing? We don't know. But uh, yeah, go go check that out, heromoviepodcast.com. And like I said, the, uh, next week, we're going to be reviewing uh, David Kep's The Shadow. And of course, we'll be reviewing David Kep's uh, Mordecai here next week. Uh, but uh, go to thefilmfind.com. There you'll find the links to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of good social media garbage. And, uh, of course, subscribe to the show, review us on iTunes. All that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And uh, if you think we're either one of us is wrong about anything or you have some complaints, some sort of grievance you would like to air, uh, or maybe just a compliment. I don't know. Maybe you're feeling nice. Email us at here at, at thefilmfind at gmail.com, and uh, we'll read that on the show because, uh, you know, we want to read stuff. And I'm not good at reading, so you might as well embarrass me in public like everyone else does. So uh, go ahead and do that. But uh, And, of course, follow me on Twitter at thefilmfind, at heromoviepod, and at Adam Portress. I got a lot of Twitter accounts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I run all of them. I only got the ones. <laughs> I only got the ones. But, uh, yeah, so go do that. All the links are up on thefilmfind.com, so do that, please. All right, so we'll be back next week, everybody, with our review of Mordecai and, of course, a couple other things here, as always. So for Matt Smith, I'm Adam Portress. Take it easy, everybody. One trillion dollars could buy a lot of bling. One trillion dollars could buy most anything. One trillion dollars buying bullets, buying guns. One trillion
Well, I have I haven't commented on uh, Daredevil yet. No. Uh huh. But uh, I hate the poster they released. Really? Yeah. Why? That ain't Hell's Kitchen. That's just fucking Manhattan. Whatever. I'm not gonna Hell- get into this. Hell's <laughs> Kitchen's over by the fucking river, son. Wow. All right. <laughs> I'm fucking with you. It's a listen, good poster. It's, I'm like, I'm like, listen, uh, I just geography go, nerd. I just wanted to go hardcore Matt Murdock nerd on you. I was just like, uh, all right. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll give you whatever you want, but I mean, it, it looks cool. Shut up. <laughs> that that show's gonna be like, I'm like, of all the Marvel TV properties and stuff, I am the most excited about that because I think it's got a really good chance to be fucking awesome, and I hope they really do it well. But I'm also like I'm also like I don't know I don't know enough about uh, the um, the alias bit I don't know enough about that uh, but I'm I'm interested I'm really interested to see also what they're going to do with Luke Cage and Iron Fist because those are two characters that could go in a very interesting way if they want to and how they're going to be portrayed I think is going to be really interesting too. I hope they um, do not do what the current series are doing with them and go much more like a. Matt Fraction at Brubaker kind of bent with them because I mean, that stuff's good. Do you do or don't want to see that? I do want to see that. Okay, I was about to uh, say the the new the new stuff that they have out is okay, but I, like it it's nothing on the Fraction Brubaker run of no. uh, Iron Fist particularly. Well, those you know those guys only have uh, you know modicum of talent between the two. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're only maybe the two best male mainstream comic book writers who aren't uh named jason aaron right um they ain't bad no they ain't bad at all so like um, I, I, we don't talk about comics proper on my other show but what do you i didn't read too much about it what's this whole uh fucking uh secret wars everything starting over Oh, I don't know. I just kind of uh, saw that floating around today. I haven't paid any attention. And, you know, mostly it's because I don't read a lot of Marvel anymore. Um, basically, the the two books that I get from them are Fractions Hawkeye and the uh, actually really amazingly good um, Black Widow series. Hmm. Um, that's all I get. So I don't keep up with any of that other shit. Uh, I have no idea what it's going to do. Um, supposedly they're going to like kill off like, like the ultimate universe gone, the regular universe gone. Everything is starting from square one. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how that goes. Right. Yeah. For six, for, for, for a year. And then it goes back to whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, it seems to me like DC is really going to stick with what they've done at least for, you know, maybe a decade. I mean, shit, they're four years into it. So why the fuck not? Yeah. That went by Uh, quick. Uh, but, uh, Marvel has a much higher turnover rate in canceling shit. We tried something for a second. (laughs) Yeah. And just completely like retconning stuff uh, without even any major changes, just, you know, like a new serials launch and it'll make a reference to something and completely erase how something turned out like four months earlier. Right. Well, this is just Uh, really the ultimate thing to do, to do what Marvel does best and go buy a million books from us in the next, you know, six months. Yeah. And I think that's probably right. I I don't, I don't know. 
And like, Who look, cares? I mean, I'll, if they if they put out another Black Widow book, I'll keep buying it because I <laughs> I have bought all of those series. I fucking love Black Widow as a character. I know people uh, kind of shit on her as being unimportant, but they do the same thing for the Punisher, and those are the two. Well, okay, I get the Punisher series too. Forgot about that for a minute because I, I don't uh, equate his his runs uh, with anything else going on in the Marvel U. Who's, so, who's uh who's rolling the Punisher right now? Um, God damn, I forget the guy's name. Um, hold on one second. Ooh, in the in the Marvel app, Discover this week we got the Marvel twenty ninety nine, <laughs> Spider Man twenty ninety nine, uh, X Men twenty ninety nine. Where's so? It, oh, so uh, it's the same guy who's writing um, Ugh. who's writing Black Widow. It's uh, Nathan Edmondson. Hmm. And then uh, it's illustrated by uh, Mitch Garretts. Uh, it's really good. It's um, he he moves from New York and starts uh, taking out a drug cartel um, through Los Angeles and into Mexico. Um, and uh, it's re- it's really fun. Hmm. Oh, he's also uh, being targeted by uh, by a new version of the Howling Commandos, which are now a like Blackwater style private uh, military organization that are. <laughs> Uh, kind of hired out as a hit squad, hmm. and it's a good it's a good run. Uh, you should check it out. Uh, it's tough, you man. Because sure like, it's all about pirates and shit. I just I <laughs> I so I don't know. I mean, like I was so love in love with the uh, the Dylan Ennis run that it's just like it's tough for me to come back to a Punisher and not have something like that again. Because that was just like fuck that. Like Welcome Home Frank was so damn good to me. I don't know why. I just I still just. Absolutely love that. Did you read the? Did you read the? Um. Uh, fuck. How was it? I was reading uh, right before that. It was. Was it Greg Rucka that was writing him for a little bit, or Ed Brubaker? No, it was Brubaker. Right before he stopped working for Marvel. Um, did you read that one? Um, I don't think so. I think it was Brubaker. Hold on a second. No, it was Rucka. I was right the first I was time. About to say, I, like, I know Rucka had done it at one point. So Greg Rucka's Punisher series is really good, man. The last two, uh, I mean, I liked some of the Remender stuff, uh, but it was a little too Remendery for me. I mean, I like Remender, right? Um, but he does like a pulp sci-fi thing and kind of all of his stuff that he does. And I didn't think that it worked all the time with the Punisher, but uh, the Greg Rucka run and then the um, the current one are very good runs. Hmm. The Rucka run is probably tonally the closest to what Ennis was doing. Okay. Because um, I figure he, yeah, his his style seems more kind of a little, you know. Yeah, well, you know, Rucka writes crime books, right? Yeah. So uh, same as Brubaker, right? So, um, but yeah, Rucka is Rucka's. Punisher is worth your time as well hmm. because yeah, I mean the, the Ennis uh, Dylan run is probably the pinnacle of all of them. Uh, kind of like a perfect symbiotic relationship of yeah, that was just creative fantastic. team and source material. Yeah. Not too shabby. Yeah. This was, your and, comics and the, you know, the Jason Aaron <laughs> run on Punisher max wasn't bad either. I've heard that was really good. I never got a chance to read those. But, you know, I think the Punisher works best when they get people who write crime stuff to come into comics. Yeah. Um, because that 
Jason Aaron, even though he has been a comic writer for a while, his, his, his comics have all kind of, with the exception of things like Thor and Wolverine, um, have always like his creator own stuff all, all has to do with criminal organizations and extreme violence. So things like scalped, right? Yeah. Um, and so he, he made a really good fit for Punisher Max. Um, that is in continuity with the Ennis run, by the way. Do you know what I want to see more than fucking anything in the world? Is uh, I want to see a cameo from the Punisher in that fucking Daredevil show. Oh, well, they have the rights. Back they have the rights to him. They can totally do it. Oh my I god! I think it'll happen. Just... I, I don't think there's any way. Um... So that would be so awesome. There was that one scene. Was it? I forget. It had to be in a Daredevil run. I think where uh, you know they, he had a like kind of a Punisher knocked him out or whatever, and he was on a rooftop there and everything. And uh, has his sights on a uh, a mob boss or something that he's going to kill, and uh, it, just this whole like great dramatic scene just played out on a rooftop that was just like so simplistic, but yet had so much uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, tension and everything to it. It was so damn good, and I'm just like fucking do that, put that, I mean, just that little bit in there where it's just like you know he's kind of like I, I guess the guy hasn't gotten his day in court yet. It's been a while since I've read it, so I did the memory's a little bit sketchy on it but just the interaction between the two of those on kind of like a rainy rooftop and everything was so damn good and i'm like fucking make that happen for real son you've got the rights to it yeah well you know i think they they should do it just so they can do the uh punisher um luke cage crossover some of that action too man i'm telling you but but you know which one i'm talking about right i the weird one from the so there's one in like the early 90s where uh it's right after this really long, like, I don't know, 12 part storyline. This is back when the Punisher was being published, uh, uh, by, by weekly. So every other, week, there were, there were two copies a month coming out. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so there's this great story. Not as bad as it made expire, man. <laughs> well, that's true. Sons of um, bitches. Maybe there, stop there collecting this, those books. There was a, um, there's like this 12 part, uh, run in that series where jigsaw like destroys the punisher and uh like cuts his face up and all this other shit right and the punisher has to go into hiding and i shit you not what he does is he goes and gets uh facial reconstruction surgery to become a black man (laughs) and then he he as a black man teams up with luke cage in the ghetto to fight crack cocaine of course for like two issues and it's re- <laughs> it's fucking terrible and the most amazing thing at the same time hmm. it's so good <laughs> so i hope that someone at marvel has the balls to do that in the netflix realm because <laughs> there's no reason not to you people are do. gonna watch it it's already sold for fuck's sake yeah you know like <laughs> Like, we've already got 13 episodes. We can do whatever we want. Make it weird. Go for it. 